0: Okay, today we return to our Becoming Who You Are series as we reach part 18 and verses 25 to 32 of chapter 4. So, as always, go get your Bible, open it up, and follow along as we dive into this week's sermon, which I think is extremely practical for all of us, and I think it will challenge all of us as we dive into it. So, go get your Bible, turn to that, but before and as you do that, and as as we read together, and um, let me remind you that two weeks ago we talked about putting off the old and putting on the new. You may remember that if you were with us, and our desire was that we would continually remove the old habits of our life, the old man, the old life, and strive to each day put on the new clothes, the new attributes and character that we now possess because we are Christians. well today then is an extension really of that um it's an extension of those thoughts and really what needs to go and what needs to be added to our lives, that we may walk worthy of our calling to which he has called us. So, if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Ephesians 4, and we're going to begin at verse 25. So let's read together. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good is for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom... You were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, giving one another at uh, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, as we work our way through these verses, these very practical verses, we pray that by your spirit that you would help us to change, to be more like what you have called us to be as your Christians. So, Father, we pray that we would do that today, that we would heed the word, that we would apply it to our lives, and that we would be changed in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Well, what is the Holy Spirit? Well, when it comes to the subject of the Holy Spirit, I would be brave enough, I think, to say that the average Christian has a, a hole in their belief, and, and knowledge of what it is. Oh, we would have a good go at answering the question. There's no doubt about that. But we may say something like, the Holy Spirit is mysterious. Or something like a, a, a God influence on in our life. Or something that lives inside the Christian. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a ghost. Or one part of the Trinity, all of which are valid. Well, firstly, let's move our thinking, I think, from the Holy Spirit being an it or something to being a person. See, this distinction that the Holy Spirit is a person sets us on a path, a right path to understanding who he is and what he has done. So, you see, he isn't some ethereal, far-off, floaty ghost, but a person, a divine being. And more than this, we must understand that he is absolutely personal. And what do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 30 for me for a moment, if you would. It says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think that this could be the key verse in this passage. I think this should be our goal, and all that we see around it, which we will look at in a minute, are the things that will enable us not to do this thing. For example, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And a product of all of that then will be walking in a manner worthy of our calling. However, going back to the idea that the Holy Spirit is personal, this verse tells us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And that word we see there, grieved, comes from the root idea to cause pain. So the fact that the Holy Spirit can experience pain and sorrow and personal distress, argues for his personal nature. So if we begin to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person who experiences joy and grief through the lives of those he indwells, the Christians, we begin to make spiritual advancement in our lives as we begin to understand who he is. I want you to think for a moment. Have you ever experienced grief over the failures of someone you love? Can you remember the feeling and emotion of that moment Well, the Holy Spirit does that same thing over us in our failures, feels the same thing? Yes, God the Holy Spirit and his perfect divine mind is affected in a way by our actions. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he's an old English Baptist preacher, he said this, For it is an inexpressibly delightful thought that he who rules heaven and earth and is the creator of all things and the infinite and ever-blessed God condescends to enter into such infinite relationship with his people that his divine mind may be affected by their actions. So in short God's Great love for us makes it possible for his spirit to be grieved for us over our shortcomings. And that's amazing. Well, how then do we respond to the reality that we can grieve the spirit? Well, surely, firstly, it moves and motivates us to holiness. Have you ever been in a position where uh, you know that if you do something, it would bring pain and upset to your parents? You know, if you just did this one thing, they would be grieved about it. We must think the same of the Holy Spirit. And allow that to drive us to purity and holiness. See, no true Christian wants to grieve the Holy Spirit. When we know that the Holy Spirit has drawn us in, has baptized us into Christ, has sealed us and declared us God's own possession, has indwelt us, and is there always with us as a helper. We do not want to bring grief to his person. Also, we know that the Spirit teaches us. Jesus said, didn't he, in John 16, 12 12 and 13, these very words. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Not only does the Holy Spirit do that, as well as all the other things, but he also prays for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit Intercedes for the saints, according to the will of God, well seeing all these acts of the Holy Spirit, why would we want to grieve him with our sinful failures? I suppose maybe the better question may be this: What can we do to bring a smile of pleasure to the person of the Holy Spirit instead of, fr- of a frown instead of a frown of grief? well the passage that we've read gives us the answers in part although it's not exhaustive with giving four principal uh, things principal principles for the christian life and the first one we want to see is stop lying stop lying these principles are not complicated paul tells the church to put off the old way and put on the new and here he's talking about putting off falsehood all that is untrue and actually speak to one another with truth because we are members of the same body the same family Well, why did Paul instruct them to do such a thing? Well, surely it was obvious, right? Well, it would seem actually when you look back that at the ancient culture of both Greeks and Israelis, that lying was prominent in their culture. Lives were built on it. Business was done by it. And therefore, as people, those Greeks and Israelis, who came to faith with those backgrounds, it was inevitable that actually those cultures and Those habits came with them. Well, that is why Paul says here in verse 25 to put off or put away falsehood. You see, it points to the ways of the old life, doesn't it? It doesn't point to the new ways of life that we have as Christians. See, lying has no part to play in the character of the Christian and it certainly has no part to play in the church. And this lesson isn't just an ancient one it's a very much needed more than ever modern lesson for us today we live in a culture of falsehood and deception and it's no more evident than in the media a dive of deception as stories are changed and exaggerated and twisted and enticed to to and and to entice to 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 the reader. Or adverts, what about adverts that promise the earth, but massively fall short when it comes to the results? so these things only press the culture onto further falsehood. And we then, whether we know it or not, join with it as we become more and more immune to what it means to speak the truth. And we lie without even knowing sometimes. And that's how enculturated we are. We lie sometimes. And that lie sometimes is is a barefaced lie. But often actually in life we lie to one another in a sense that we don't tell each other the honest truth. We sit and watch sometimes as friends and family plummet themselves into sin. And in one way, if we don't do it physically, we pat them on the back and wish, wish them well. But actually, for us, if we want to speak the truth, then we need to tell them in love their faults before God it may just be the best rescue plan out there but why should we tell the truth well firstly because lies dishonor God although Paul doesn't necessarily say that at this point we know, that, at this point we know the Bible teaches that but as Paul tells the Ephesian church here it's because it renders the body the church of Christ dysfunctional have we told lies lately? any white lies are we presently lying in words in silence and these if we are are great sins against christ and his body and the church and it grieves the spirit so let's repent and ask the spirit to make us truthful people secondly then stop holding anger verse 26 to 27 says be angry and do not sin paul isn't saying that anger is absolutely off the table but that there is a way of managing your anger. We know from the Bible that God is sometimes angered towards his people. And we know for sure that Jesus experienced anger when he cleansed the temple. But in both cases, they never sinned. See, we can be angry about things. Injustice and sin should make us angry. And these are, in some way, a sign of spiritual life and spiritual health and spiritual maturity. However, harnessing that anger is where we must be very, very careful, as it often leads to sin, which then, in turn, gives an opportunity to the devil, which is what we've read just now. Well, how does that progression work? What does it look like? Well, it often begins with righteous anger. And an anger that we have a right to feel. A healthy anger. But if that healthy anger is nursed, if we're willing to nurse that, if we are to preciously hold on to the anger against whatever or whoever it might be, it becomes highly personal. Hatred has a habit of swelling, and Jesus warned against this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 21 and 22. And in those verses he says that holding on to such anger against someone means that we become guilty in some degree of murder. It's that serious. Anger. The thing that began so properly can become a matter of pride. The scary thing about holding on to anger for too long is that the person who is holding the anger becomes often worse than the one who made you angry in the first place what I'm saying is that the offended can become worse than the offender if they store up anger what then is the answer to anger Paul gives the church the answer doesn't he in verse 26 do not let the sun go down on your anger what that means is that the day you get angry is the day you deal with anger It's the day you release anger. It's not to be left. A life filled with anger and a church filled with angry people causes pain to the Spirit of God. He will not work there. In that life, in that church, in a matter of fact, he cannot work there with those angry, hogging people. The great evangelist D.L. Moody was preaching in a small town with a friend called Mr. Sankey, who was a gospel singer. And Moody wrote an account of that day. And I want to read it with you here. It says, For a week it seemed as if we were beating the air. There was no power in the meetings. At last, one day I said that perhaps there was something cultivating the unforgiving spirit. The chairman of our committee, who was sitting next to me, got up and left the meeting right in view of the audience. The arrow had hit the mark and gone home to the heart of the chairman of the committee. He had had trouble with someone for about six months. He at once hunted up this man and asked him to forgive him. He came to me with tears in his eyes and said, I thank God you you ever came here. That night the inquiry room was thronged. Stop holding your anger. Go to the person and confess your sin towards them and for the sake of your soul, for the life of the church and for the glory of Christ, do that, I pray. Number three, stop stealing. Verse 28. Paul, in the first century, much like the culture and falsehood that we talked about just a moment ago, had to deal with a culture of theft, of stealing, a culture of dishonesty and a taking of what wasn't rightfully theirs. And this creeped into the church and into the new creations, God's people. And God's people no longer were to walk in this manner of life. Honesty and integrity were to be the thing that characterised the church. Well, in 2019, according to official police record, uh, record crime document that I read earlier this week, in Northern Ireland, between the 23rd of March and the 7th of June, they recorded just over seven uh, just over six thousand eight hundred theft offences made by a number of different categories made up of different categories, so theft is still a major problem in our land too but here's where it gets interesting because a little voice inside of our head tells us that we're okay because we've not done anything that is to be counted towards those police figures. We haven't committed these sort of crimes, so actually we don't we don't need to worry ourselves about these verses we can give ourselves a pat on the back and ignore what Paul is saying because it doesn't apply to your life well be careful because it may because theft comes in ways more subtle than these enforcement figures how many have padded their expense accounts on tax returns or have given inadequate income tax reports or have borrowed money without returning it or have used your employer's time for things other than work. Be careful, as these are the things the Holy Spirit cannot smile on in our lives or in our churches. Fourthly then, and this is the final thing, it's stop rotting, verse 29. The final thing that the Spirit is concerned about is our speech and that it is constructive. Look at verse 29 with me, please, if you will. It says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The language that Paul uses here is very descriptive. For example, the corrupting talk that we see here literally means rotten, putrid, or filthy. This includes filthy language, but also means any decay-spreading conversation that runs others down and delights in their weaknesses. Pastor, author, and scholar, Arkent Hughes, says these sorts of people are like the fable's slave, who took poison into her system a little at a time, and then more and more, until at last her whole being was so full of poison that her very breath would wither. The flowers. It's pretty strong. This kind of attitude and language and conversation does not exist in the Christian or within the church. And it is to be killed off immediately. Well, then, as we finish up the day, Paul concludes that we are to speak look at verse 29 we are to speak only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. That is, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our conversations together, when we meet one another and when we will meet one another, they should be vehicles and demonstrations of God's grace. Let's be like the one that we read of in Job 4 and 4, where it says, Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. That's what our words should do with each other. Let's not be people whose speech leads to rot, but people whose whose speech is full of grace and seasoned with salt. So, know the Holy Spirit isn't a phantom, but a person. And in an infinite love descended and indwelt us to suffer pain and joy through us. The question is, is he grieved with us or is he singing and smiling over us? The summary statement from verses 30 to 32 is how we finish today. And this is what the Spirit is pleased with. Read with me, please. It says, So do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. These are the things the spirit smiles upon in our lives. So how do, we, how do we best approach our failures and successes in the areas of truth, anger, theft and speech? Well, here's a practical thing I leave you with today. If you are married, ask your spouse to, to participate with you in this. If you are single, invite a friend or your boyfriend, girlfriend over to do this with you. Take each category, truth, anger, theft and speech, and reflect out loud to your partner as to whether this area of your life has a smile over it or a frown when it comes to the Holy Spirit. If you fall short, confess your sin to God and each other and invite your partner to pray for you. Let me assure you of one thing as you do this, the Holy Spirit will attend your conversation with great joy. Father, we ask that we would be careful in all these areas not to grieve the Spirit, that he would smile upon these areas and others in our lives and in doing so that you would be glorified and your Son would be magnified. So Lord, help us in these areas, we pray. Help these things, put put these things into, into practice in our lives. Lord, that it would be of great benefit to the witness and reach of the gospel in this area and that we would become more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would become who you have called us to be. So do this what we pray. Go before us in this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.